from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I wanted to find a way to follow my thoughts and speak them on the page in a way that felt true to how they occur in our minds. And she said, think about it. Think about how your mind works. It works in layers, in flashes, in images. It doesn't work in full-blown paragraph style with footnotes. I'm Jonathan All. The Summer Writers Institute at Washington University is hosting a virtual homecoming of an internationally acclaimed poet. Here's St. Louis Public Radio's Jeremy Goodwin. Poet Naomi Shihab Nye is a native of Ferguson. She also spent parts of her childhood living in the occupied West Bank and in San Antonio, where she joins us today. Last year, Nye received the National Book Critics Circle Lifetime Achievement Award. Her latest book is a career-spanning collection. It's called Everything Comes Next, Collected and New Poems. And this Saturday evening, the Summer Writers Institute at Washington University is hosting a virtual homecoming for Naomi. And we're happy to welcome her to St. Louis on the air today. Hey, Naomi. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Jeremy. It feels so good to come home. Oh, good. Even, even through a computer screen? Yes, it really does. Isn't that odd? It truly does. So this is, is this essentially a, a book reading well, I will read from the book, but I will also read from a few other books and maybe some newer poems from this past strange year we've all lived. You had a strange year last year? Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> what happened to me? I don't know. I seem to be hovering in the in the margins of the world. Everyone mm. was, yeah. Well, I've seen you said that during the pandemic, uh, one thing you've been comforted by is words, uh, the possibilities of words. Um, how so? Well, I think anyone who is a long-time reader probably found themselves reading a little more than usual because we weren't going anywhere, we weren't seeing people. And so that sense of deep dive into pages uh, took on a, a wonderful uh, quality that reminded me a little bit of when you're on an airplane and you read an entire novel crossing the ocean and it just feels so delicious to have nothing else to do but turn the pages. Mm. Um, we were pulled out of our homes in fewer ways and therefore we could, you know, be with the things we loved within our homes a little more. And I think... Uh, for people who love words, it was not such a bad experience. So did you find yourself pulling favorites off the shelf, or were you in the mood to, to tackle new things? What, what kind of mindset did you I, have? I, di I did both. I read, I reread so many things, especially poems. Um, I'm not a person who particularly rereads novels, but I found myself reading stacks of things in my home that I had never even opened yet. So there was a sense of just using what one had to get through the days. Sometime in that time, you wrote a poem for the, the fall 2020 opening of something called the Planet Word Museum in Washington, D.C. I understand that that place is a, a celebration of language in, in, in some sort. How did, how did they get you involved? Well, I haven't actually been there yet, but I was so excited to be contacted by Anne Friedman, one of the founders or the founder of Planet Word, and she invited me to write uh, the welcoming poem for the first day's launch. And they made a broadside out of it and 
gave it to people. But it turned out, of course, to be a virtual launch. So uh, we all participated online and watched other people welcoming words in their own ways into their lives. And I'm very happy that there is such a museum. And I hope to see it someday soon. Hmm. And you, you wrote a poem called Welcome the Word. Yes. Uh, w- would you care to share that with us today? Sure, I'd love to. Round in the mouth of the day, the word whirls and waits to be recognized, warming each time someone speaks or writes it. Words always willing to be shaped, cajoled, connected, learn their histories, find their roots. Words have families too. Words want us to know them better. Slipped into lives, they blossom. Words get so lonely if they go a long time floating, weightless. You could carry a word all your life as guide. It will shimmer, befriend you. Your word will change. Naomi, there's so many there's so many turns of phrase there. I, st- I started underlining and trying to remember. Um, but moreover, it comes across the, the idea of words as tangible things that we have a relationship with in a way. You know, I think I actually started thinking about that as a very little child living in Ferguson and loving individual words or words in phrases. I remember walking around just repeating a word I had learned for the first time or I had heard someone say for the first time and feeling that words were another kind of food, another kind of nourishment, feeling that a word could even change your mood. Um, Maybe this is something intrinsic to all writers and poets, but I feel very lucky that it hit me so young. You started writing very early, didn't you? Yes, I started at six. And you, st- moreover, you started sharing your work pretty early, which is something that it takes some people a lot longer to get to. Yes, and I can thank the Central School Librarians in Ferguson for encouraging me to do that. They saw me reading children's magazines, many of which had pages featuring the work of children readers. And they said, well, you could send some of your poems there too, you know. And I said, how do you do that? And I learned about self-addressed stamped envelopes and (laughs) rejection and what it would mean to send out three, four poems and have them all come flying back to you. And the librarians were so wise. They said, um, you can't be disappointed if your poems aren't published. At least, you know, you tried and send some more. And I remember thinking, oh, that's okay if they're not published. You know, I started very early to um, feel sturdy about that process. And it's ironic that I've met many adults over the years who say, oh, I've, I was never brave enough to send out my work. And I think, well, uh, start now. It's never too late. And how valuable to have that experience of getting used to the fact that rejection is part of it and you right. send it somewhere else or you try something else the next day. You might, you might mail every, every piece with, with a little prayer or a little hope, but uh, your, your whole world doesn't have to be pinned on each acceptance or rejection. Oh, I love that image, pinned with a little prayer or a hope. Yes, I certainly felt that exciting possibility every time I tucked an envelope into the mailbox. And it was right across the street from our house. And I would walk across the street and stare at that envelope going off to a magazine and, you know, say, good luck to you and drop it in the slot. But but you're right. I became um, 
I just was, I became used to the idea that not everything gets published and it didn't hurt my feelings. And I think that's very important for all writers to remember that if your work doesn't get published the first time you send it out, in no way does that mean there's no hope for you. And you mentioned the, the studious librarians of Central Elementary School in Ferguson. Yes. Um, you attended school, I think, with the late 50s, early 60s. It sounds like you have, right. you have fond memories of that time. I have utterly fond memories. I loved living in Ferguson. I loved St. Louis. I've missed it all my life. Uh, Central School was an absolutely magical school uh, to go to daily, being so old and historic, huge windows, uh, teachers who had been there a long time. And um, I, fe I feel very lucky to have gone to school there at that time. Of course, it wasn't integrated yet. And that bothered me even as a child, since my own father was an immigrant. And I was trying to figure out, you know, all the mysteries of, of neighborhoods and population. And of course, no one could have guessed what would happen in Ferguson later to make it a household word. But those of us who know Ferguson and grew up there, uh, love, love it in so many ways. And always dream of better days for every place we love. And you're, you mentioned your dad. He was a, a refugee from, from Palestine, right? Made, yes. his, made his way to St. Louis. And yes. uh, I saw a wonderful detail that you said, you, you described him as the only Arab in Ferguson, at least that you know of. But yes. uh, he, he ran for office and won. He did. He ran for school board. And I remember one of our neighbors saying to him, come on, who's going to vote for you? Who do you think you are? And he just said his name. I'm Aziz. And he won. He got on the school board. And that meant a lot to him because he really thought that education was, you know, the ticket to life. And he had cared a lot about going to school himself, both in Palestine and when he came as a foreign student to the United States. And so he really wanted to help the school district in any way he could. You mentioned that the school was segregated at that time, and you have memories of, of feeling like something was off about that. How did you get around that system to maybe interact with people who didn't necessarily look like you in town? Right. Well, one thing I did was I applied for a job at the wonderful organic farm, which is actually the oldest chartered organic farm in the state of Missouri. It's now called Earth Dance. But in those days, it's on Dade Avenue in Ferguson. In those days, it was called Miller's Organic Farm, spelled M-U-E-L-L-E-R. And Al and Caroline Muller were devoted farmers, and they hired kids um, to pick berries for them every spring. And so I happened to notice that all the pickers were boys who were black. And I thought, okay, this is where I can make friends. And I applied. I was the only girl and the only person not African-American who worked there. And we were all instant friends. And we would discuss, you know, why do you go to school in Kinlock? And I go to school in Ferguson. And we didn't, you know, we didn't understand it. It was like there were invisible lines you know, I just, I guess I figured at that time it was, you know, proximity, like they're closer to their school and I'm closer to my school. But I didn't quite understand the mysteries of neighborhoods that were not integrated yet. And every time I come back to Ferguson and walk around and talk to anyone I meet in the streets, I feel very happy about the, the changes. And I still have dear friends who live in Ferguson who have loved it all through these many years. And, 
you know, I'm with them. I treasure those houses, those trees, those streets. It's a wonderful place to live. So you went out of your way to sort of get out of the, the lane that was laid out for you in, the, in town at the time. Does, does poetry have anything to do with helping people do that? Well, I think so, because poetry suggests we have an appetite for life, and not just for our own lives or lives that resemble ours, uh, but like if you're in love with the poetry of Langston Hughes, you would like to know some people who look like Langston Hughes. You know, why would that not be an automatic wish? And being the child of two parents who uh, grew up on different sides of the earth, you know, so a bicultural child, I was fascinated by people who were unlike myself. I was not looking for other Arab American kids, particularly at that time. I was looking for anybody who wasn't like us. And, um, you know, Ferguson was filled with people like that of different backgrounds, and so was St. Louis. So there was a rich sense of, you know, the wonderful mixture that is every American city and, and much more appreciated in that way by now. Mm. I am speaking here with Naomi Shihab Nye. Her latest collection is Everything Comes Next, Collected and New Poems. You can catch her this Saturday evening for a virtual homecoming that the Summer Writers Institute at Washington University is hosting. And you can get some info about registering for that on our website, stlpr.org slash stlonair. Naomi, the, the Poetry Foundation made you its Young People's Poet Laureate in 2019, uh, just in time for the pandemic. Oh, yes. What sort of work have you been able to do in that role? Well, it's wonderful because I get to visit with students, even through our computers, and visit with teachers from all over the country and uh, be part of, uh, you know, the whole world of poetry, which recommends books and suggests things. And um, I got to help co-edit an issue of Poetry Magazine. Recently, it was one of, it was the first issue for young people that poetry had ever published in its long history. So uh, mostly it's interacting with young people and with teachers, but that's the work that I've done my whole adult life. So I'm very honored to hold the position and be affiliated with the Poetry Foundation out of Chicago, another great Midwestern city that I love. It seems like your work is attractive to, to younger readers, that they find it accessible. Do you have thoughts about why that is? Well, I hope so because I like them um, the most of all people on earth. I've always been very attached to um, young people, and that's why I wanted to work with them and their own writing all these years. But I really don't think there are hard and fast boundaries between the worlds of, um, you know, what children appreciate, what adults appreciate. I know I still appreciate many of the poems I loved as a child. And, um, you know, when I was a college student, for example, taking an Emily Dickinson course, I remember thinking, I feel like I knew her since I was in second grade, just because I'd had a teacher, Mrs. Lane at Central School, who really loved Emily Dickinson. So I don't feel as if there are separated worlds, but it definitely matters to me to write poetry that's accessible and therefore accessible to young people as well as older people. Why would you say that you are so passionate about working with students? Well, I just think uh, children are the heroes of the world, I guess. You know, I think they're the, the, the magical spirits who are very um, unfettered by a lot of expectations. They're idealists. They are just waking up in a refreshing kind of way to all that the world has to offer. 
Um, right now, I've been taking our five-year-old grandson to a local museum here in San Antonio, the McNay, uh, for a few Sundays in a row. And just to be in a museum with him is so much more exhilarating than being in a museum by myself or with other adults. And it reminds me of, of my every Sunday afternoon pilgrimage, and thanks to my mother for this, to the St. Louis Art Museum. That was our that was our holy Sunday afternoon refuge place. And I feel as if the museum expanded me and the artists I came to feel close to um, enlightened me. And, you know, I wasn't a scholar about visual art, but I was able to love it and appreciate it. And so young people are just, they're close to the source of all things, Jeremy. And that is... Um, a presence, a way of being that, you know, I've tried to stay close to all my life, no matter how, how old I got, I felt that those were people I needed to be around. I've seen a remark from you that, that people think in poems. Is, is that part of what you're getting at there? Well, you know, that wasn't original. A painter told me that in, Can in oh. Canada when I was 20 years old. And she said, think about it. Think about how your mind works. It works in layers, in flashes, in images. It doesn't work in full-blown paragraph style with footnotes so much as these stacked images. And th that suddenly hit me like, yeah, that is. That's how we think. Uh, maybe that's one reason that Poetry felt like such a, a native language to me that I wanted to find a way to follow my thoughts and speak them on the page in a way that felt true to how they occur in our minds. Um, I do think we think in poems a lot of the time, not all the time, maybe when we're being very worried and digressive, um, less focused, maybe it's less like a poem. But I, I also got into the habit some years ago, writing on the, the bulletin board or blackboard in the room I'd be in, you are living in a poem. And that usually struck up an interesting conversation with students because some of them would say, yes, yes, I really am. And others would say, well, I'm not. And then they would talk about it. You know, what did that feel like to feel as if you were living in a poem? Hand in hand with that, I think, is it seems to be a lot of your poems maybe spring out of everyday moments that just happen. Uh, when when do you realize that you have an idea for a poem on your hands? That's such a great question. And yes, you used the right word, I would say, spring out of a moment. That's where they come. Um, you know, sometimes you feel when the poem is just popping up, emerging, something wants to come. Um, and other times you just start writing and the poem emerges through that process of putting words on the page, something you hadn't expected and and a surprising conjunction of elements, for example, um, pops up. Naomi, you've written a poem called Being from St. Louis. Is there any chance we can get you to share that with us? I would, I would love to. Thank you, Jeremy. Under the bridges, the rumbling trains snaked over, and the gray rain draining toward holes in the streets, the veiled prophet floated past in his strange parade. No one knew who he was. I cracked my head on cement when the giant lion opened his jaws to roar, no, always, no, 
but we were going to do it anyway. Over the fallen leaves and winter's fist that held and held till every secret tip of the tree was frozen, beside the gray river that marked us off. What did east or west mean if you were in the center? And its splintered floating debris, we left our smallest clothes behind. Under the long wisdom of red brick and the silver arch that would surely fall, we said, standing nervously off to one side as the last glistening segment swung into place on the back of a giant crane, that would surely fall, come tumbling down. Since those days, we became people who blink harder in sunlight, flying into our old city, staring from the plain. It didn't fall, after all who have become the rich humidity and rain in a quiet place under our skins, returning to the house still standing, to the trees who do not see us, to the schoolyard to pick up one pencil-sized stick from the rich gravel who carry it home as we would have done in another life when the earth was still writing its name on our knees. Hmm. And something I'm noticing about that is it, it sounds like it's coming very much out of the writer's personal experience and memories, um, but it's also anchored in a, in a place in time that the reader can clue into and get some context clues about what might be going on here. And there's, there's so much there to discuss that even might connect to political issues of the day. You're very kind to hear it in that way. Thank you so much. Um, I don't read that poem very often, and it's changed a little bit since it was printed in a book, and I just realized right now uh, that it has the word rich twice in the last stanza. And, uh, you know, poets try not to do that sometimes. Sometimes they try to do that, to repeat things. But I do feel as if being from St. Louis is an incredibly rich and poignant experience. I don't think it's any... um, surprised that so many writers have been from St. Louis. And I'm sure uh, artists of all different genres, other genres as well, but I'm quite aware of how many writers were born there or grew up there or spent significant time there. And I think St. Louis is a particularly dreamy city. Um, Not only does it have the best architecture in the whole wide world, but it's, it's got a haunted feeling. And, um, A few years ago, I was back there, and I went on the Tennessee Williams tour, and we ended up at his gravestone in a cemetery, and I found out on that trip that Tennessee Williams and my mom had both gone to Soldan High School on Union Boulevard, which she had never even told me. And when I asked her, why didn't you tell me that? She said, well, we didn't go there at the same time. And I thought that was so funny, because to me, that's really... um, fascinating to go to a school with someone who becomes like a household word. Mm. Naomi Shihab Nye, thanks so much for your time. I'm very pleased to have been with you. Thank you for listening to me. That's St. Louis Public Radio's Jeremy Goodwin talking with Ferguson native and poet Naomi Shihab Nye. 
St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.